Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce that after 21 short episodes, we have our first sponsor. It's a locally owned and operated nonprofit video rental store called Film is Truth. They have a collection of over 19,000 films in VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. So no matter what platform you watch on, you can find the film you're looking for. They have a little bit of everything, but specialize in foreign, independent, art house, and documentary films, which is super cool because they likely have a selection that you won't be able to find in larger stores or even on some of the larger streaming platforms. This is great for filmmakers especially because you should have a wide background of films to pull from in your own filmmaking. Here at Back to Back Films, we are all about expanding not only our own knowledge, but the knowledge of our listeners, viewing films that we normally wouldn't watch, so this is a really special partnership for us. Film is Truth is open from noon to 9 p.m. every day and can be found here in Bellingham at 1530 Cornwall Avenue, inside the Terra Organica Market. That's convenient for you because you can get your food and your films in one stop. If you are a non-local listener, then you can find them at filmistruth.com or at facebook.com at filmistruth. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. This week's episode of the Back to Back Films podcast. This week, Jacob's gone again, so Byron and I are going to talk Mother. Uh, we're going to do a shorter episode focusing on one film, and we'll talk behind the scenes, what it's about, how they did it, why, just all that stuff, kind of keeping it a little more broad than our usual, focusing on the technical stuff, maybe even review it just a little bit. Uh, we kind of touched on it last episode, but, you know, there's a lot to it, so... Um, yeah, I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And I don't have my usual script, so we're <laughs> winging this entirely. Um, and Byron's got some stuff to talk about. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I guess... Let's kick it in with what, whatever yeah. the first thing we want to mention about it, essentially. Well, I guess um, it's uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Right. Um, and I'm sure everybody's familiar with his work. He's done Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream, Pi, The Fountain... Um, Noah, Noah, the wrestler, the wrestler. So he's got an interesting filmography. Um, you know, from just the titles alone, it's kind of hard to maybe see the similarities between all of his films. Yet he really does have a lot of. You know, he deals with a lot of the same themes, and um, he does have a kind of particular style. Um, and a like part of that biblical themes, like right. He really likes his Bible metaphor he does yeah Yeah. especially in this movie yeah definitely uh the film yeah so it was written and directed by aronofsky stars jennifer lawrence javier bardem ed harris michelle pfeiffer Kristen wig uh domino gleason and his brother uh so they play brothers in the film and they're actually brothers in real life um and among other people too i can't remember all the names uh cinematography was by matthew libatique i think it's yeah libatique i think yeah uh who did most of aronofsky's films as well as a bunch of others he's kind of been around uh and done a lot of movies actually and it was edited by andrew weisblum uh and then the big thing here i think would be interesting to talk about is it was produced by and distributed by Paramount. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on a roughly $30 million budget, which is huge for this movie. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> um, you know, when you think of other films that have been made for like a couple million or less, 
Uh, and this oddball movie with essentially no plot. Well, there is plot, right? There is a, there is stuff that happens, but it's sort of this like dream plot, right? And this surreal, like it's a very non Hollywood, very non mainstream <laughs> movie that got a mainstream production company to pick it up, which is incredible. Like I can't, I'm still kind of in awe that Paramount picked it up and decided to do it. And I mean, I I heard, I guess uh, one of the CEOs or one of the you know executives of paramount released a statement um a couple weeks ago maybe it was even last week saying um you know kind of saying like you know netflix is able to basically make anything that they want you know they can if they want to come up with something that's like really extreme they can release it and it won't affect them like you won't you know it won't affect them um exactly like the the fall the fallout just won't do anything so she was kind of a little annoyed i think because you know paramount and aronofsky and even jennifer lawrence and stuff we're getting a little bit of fallout for this movie because it's very controversial um and she just kind of basically kind of you know said listen netflix can do it why can't we you know we feel it's you know important to have films that not everyone agrees with and we want to be a big studio that is you know not not afraid to you know um to make um movies that are controversial or maybe movies that aren't necessarily quote studio movies which i thought was pretty cool at the same time kind of petty that she had to like name drop netflix you know yeah type of thing but they've kind of positioned themselves to be contrary to that though and they're like right. it's big business and they're right. all about the bottom line where netflix is about the bottom line they're big business don't get me wrong but they also know through the immense amount of data that they're able to yeah. collect from all the viewers yeah. that like they can just make whatever like shotgun anything you know that's right. why they have all these different new shows and why they're spending spending billions of dollars every you know each year now yeah. to to produce content cuz it's like we can do whatever and we're just going to get every <laughs> demographic we're going to get the old people we're going to get the new people yeah. we're going to get black white hispanic you name it we're going to make a show that caters yeah. to them you know i can't i can't keep up I honestly can't keep no, up can't. to Netflix. No, no, no. There's no, like, it's like, you know, every day it seems or every week I have to look, go through the thing. Like, wow, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Oh, fuck. It has, it stars them. Like, yeah. that's a, that's a big name. I haven't even heard of this project, exactly. you know, stuff like that. So it is incredible, but it is kind of cool that a studio, you know, um, is like kind of adapting into this sort of Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, um, you know, these kind of more subscription based uh, platforms that they're kind of adapting a little bit of what these guys are doing um, yeah. because I mean, they're only really competing with star Wars, Marvel, you know, cause those are really the only big movies that people are actually going out to see that, you know, like the big franchises. Um, well, apparently it is showing up well, and, and being like, you know, you doesn't have, <laughs> well, it has history. So that helps it. Right. right. If it was just a new movie that came out with no background, then it'd be a different story probably. Right. But even then, you know, it's it. I don't know how far this movie takes it in terms of the book, because the book yeah. and the original movie was a the movie was a two parter with because the book involves the kids story and then the adults when they're right. grown up. So I don't know how far this one goes. I imagine they're probably going to want to sequel it. Yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me. But like it doesn't have like that much potential to be expanded into yeah. like a full on universe. Right. It's funny because I heard I mean, I haven't seen it, but I, I've I, I've heard that they did kind of focus more on Pennywise the Clown just because it's such a, you know, 
yeah. classic character. So, I mean, there probably is more things that, that they could expand upon if they really wanted to, I'm sure. Well, I guess they had a, a flashback sequence that they cut from the movie that was supposed to be brutal. Oh, like wow. The actor for Pennywise said it was a brutal like sequence. So oh, wow. Maybe they're... Maybe they're cause, Pennywise's lore or whatever, it was supposed to take place in like the 1600s because Pennywise oh, appears every so often, which actually, I guess, between when this movie got released and the movie, the old movies, yeah. was 27 years, oh. which is in the book how long Pennywise, like, <laughs> Pennywise shows up every 27 years. That's so cool. You know they planned that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I guess it could be turned into a franchise, but I mean, at the same time, it's also kind of a movie that's not and it's R rated too, yeah, and I think it yeah. just now took over the highest R highest grossing R rated movie of all time, so, beating The Exorcist. Wow! Yeah, holy crap! So it's over Deadpool, American Sniper, all that. That's everything, crazy. It'd be everything. Wow! Yeah, yeah. that's. Cra- I'm gonna have to check it out. I might maybe see it. T- I might see it tonight or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I want. I, I want to see Mother again. See it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So it's hard, you know, and then. There's still other things I'd like to see. Yeah, you know, same here. Still haven't had the chance. <laughs> and then all the things that are not in theaters that you want to see, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so mother. Um, sp- oh, speaking of Paramount and why they picked it up. So I guess Fox Searchlight also was looking at it, uh, but ultimately passed on the script. And Paramount didn't pick it up until they found out who was starring in it. Oh, yeah. So this movie is a good kind of example as to how to get a movie made through casting. Yeah, uh, there's a few interviews that I was watching with Aronofsky, and, and he basically said once he got Jennifer Lawrence on board, he's like, that's that's what allowed the movie to be made. He's like, once you have, when you have a star, especially a star that has that her, her films have... Yep. Um, grossed 5.5 billion dollars exactly so it's like you know once you have that star power and she's on board then the executives will look at you more seriously yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) wow she's actually saying yes to this and then javier bardem who's kind of been on i wouldn't say the hottest ticket item but definitely like right there where he's just kind of popped into these films especially since no country for old men i mean exactly he was known on the international circuit festival circuit and stuff you know since the early 2000s late 90s but it wasn't until 2007 with no country for old men that hollywood really took an interest in him and you know he uh, just popped up last year in the new or this earlier this year in the new pirates of the caribbean film yeah exactly and stuff like that so yeah, he yeah. plays the. He likes to kind of gets typecasted as the villain, right? Um, right. But he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. <laughs> and then Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, who's kind of been out of the spotlight, yeah, but it's still yeah. a name that people know and a face that people know. And Ed Harris, and then I'm surprised Domino Gleason decided to yeah, pop in for such a small, small role, part, yeah, because uh, he's kind of on the rise, yeah, right now, which um, is kind of cool that he's doing these little roles. Like, I mean, because he is, he's in so much stuff, but that he still is like, you know what, I'm not like over like i'm not a he's not above yeah you know just doing like, the, the yeah, little things yeah, yeah. which is cool kind of like his dad right uh who kind of just pops in and out of things and does yeah. get some you know bigger roles but yeah. then kind of does some lower low-key stuff yeah and, he does like um the big budget stuff like he was in the harry or you know harry potter the harry potter stuff and then he stars in like independent films but then he'll play like the buddy and yeah, you know other exactly, movies or you know exactly. which is cool exactly so yeah so casting is huge um you know i think jennifer lawrence was like the first person then javier bardem and then 
Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris after that, and they all just kind of just yeah. domino effect. And then I guess Michelle Pfeiffer didn't necessarily like it at first yeah, yeah. until she started to understand the like she, until she started to think about the character and then she was like <laughs> like on board yeah. like 100 um, percent and i guess ed harris similar thing like aronofsky invited him over to his place and he wasn't going to let the um the script out of his house out of his apartment and he didn't have it um i don't think he had it typed up i think it was all handwritten i think um and he said hey uh, they they had like you know coffee beforehand. They talked. He Aronofsky talked to Ed Harris about like the vision, and then said, "Okay, no, just read the script." And like he left the room, and Ed Harris just sat there in one sitting, read the script, put it down, and was like, "Yeah, I'm doing the I'm doing the movie." Yeah, nice. You know, I was like, "Damn, nice. that's kind of unique." Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, I love those stories, like the casting calls, casting yeah. sessions, or whatever that directors will have. Like <laughs> Nolan, what was it? Uh, was it? Dunkirk that he flew out to we mentioned this before he flew um, to I think it was in Dunkirk anyway he flew out to someone's house and was like oh it was uh, no it was Bowie that's what it was. Oh, I remember this because okay. it was oh, from yeah, our first the episode. Prestige, that's right. From the Prestige. He flew out to <laughs> Bowie's house to convince him to be in the movie. Like, And then you wonder, like, what the hell are they talking yeah, about? Like, I know. And Malik does that where like, he just brings all the actors to like his place in Texas yeah. that he wants. And they spend, like, I think with Jessica Chastain, they, she spent like a week there or something yeah, or like crazy. a weekend and talked just, about uh, Tree of Life the whole yeah. time, you know, like, like what, like. Those conversations, like, yeah. I just want to know. Like, I same with, like, Tarantino and Brad Pitt before they did Inglourious Bastards. Like, Brad Pitt flew Tarantino out to his, you know, house in France, and they just, like, drank a whole bunch of wine and just, like, talked. <laughs> damn, I was like, damn, dude, man. I would damn. love to be a fly on the wall. I that. know, right? <laughs> That's a dream, though, just to be that director. Right. Like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go fly out. And yeah. You can fly over the here. Like Chateau yeah. in France. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I guess uh, when it comes to Jennifer Lawrence involvement in this too, um, she it kind of I think it took a little bit of convincing for her too. Like she wasn't necessarily on board with it until she started to really get like the talk with Aronofsky and like everything else. And then they, I guess they didn't even start dating until like partway through this yeah, film, yeah. which is like an odd thing because. I read like a little snippet that she said like yeah this was one of the like harder things to work on and I don't know if I'd ever work with him again <laughs> and as far as I know they're still like dating or whatever so yeah no, it's funny because yeah. I, I believe they, they still are dating and, and he, she did she was in a couple of things she did say that, similar things where um, she said that she probably would never attempt a character like this like just on how um yeah, she. I don't she think put she put herself out there, right? Like a yeah, lot she to really do, right? made herself vulnerable, which I have to applaud. I mean, I think it's awesome when actors really change things up and um, allow themselves to become uh, seen um, in roles that even they themselves aren't comfortable with. I mean, she still pulled it off. Like that's yeah. incredible. Which is perfect that you say that because uh, at one point, I guess. So in an interview, she was saying, like, you know, she usually has the ability to kind of snap in and out, like, oh, okay, when I need to be on to the character, but when the scenes, when I say cut, like, yeah. and snap out, go back to normal. I guess at one point during filming that she couldn't do that, her like, her uh -huh. ability to snap out kind of just, like, 
didn't function so she was like stuck in her character and in doing so ended up like hyperventilating which led to her like tearing her diaphragm yeah. and cracking a yeah. rib or some crazy <laughs> like holy crap dude. yeah she cracked or she tore her diaphragm and yeah. then, like fuck like that I can't imagine that would fucking hurt like I can't even so imagine bad. Like, <laughs> and the rib and everything and then like you know who knows where they're at in filming like yeah. you need to go back to it after that and then I guess she was saying too that so the interviewer he asked a good question which I really liked was that you know was there anything that you were saying you say no to or that in the script that you didn't want to do and stuff like that and she's like well actually quite the contrary there was one scene that was like you know pretty brutal and I think we can all kind of like I mean there's only like two scenes that are like fairly really brutal right where she gets beaten and then where they kill like the baby and she was like uh, when they filmed it and then they watched it later she was like you know this is not not enough. It's not brutal yeah, yeah, enough. Yeah, we didn't yeah, go yeah. far enough, so they redid it, and then actually <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, we like pushed it to the extreme and, <laughs> to make it happen," you know. And that, apparently that was her. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And then also I was reading too, and like this little d- movie detail is that uh, throughout the film she's like barefoot, right? Like, yeah. Like, I think the whole time. I think actually. so. Yeah. And I guess that was her idea uh, as a means to show her connection to the house because yeah. she's supposed to be the house, right? Like, she's a person, but she're, she's also the house, Mother Nature, that whole larger metaphor. Um, so, like, I guess that was her idea, yeah. which I really like because, you know, shoes are, like, a really big detail right. for me and, or the lack thereof. Right? Yeah. No, it's funny, too, because the whole film, I mean, there's 66 minutes of the film that focuses purely on her face, pretty much. And it's... it. it you know, Aronofsky has said, you know, like it, you don't realize that while you're watching it because you're always leaning in. You're always kind of like, you know, wanting to see around her, wanting to see what's going on um, because you're kind of seeing it through her point of view. Um, so see it's it. funny that we recognize that she's shoeless, but yet we don't even see her whole body in frame for most of the movie. Yeah, there's which only is like a couple of shots. You know? <laughs> see, I. I couldn't help but notice those shots, but just right. because it was like nauseating to watch Same the here. way they yeah. shot it, right? Definitely. Like the close up face and the constant spinning yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. You know, really screws up the background. But he did say that in his TIFF QA, like, you know, there's the shot of her face, there's the POV, and yeah. then he said there's like one other shot. There's three shots essentially, which yeah. they do a little bit more they than do, three. Yeah. There is like a wide shot where she's standing in the middle of the house, right? That's yeah. not her POV, but yeah, generally everything and then is that like shot her POV. Of the house outside, not, which was you right, know, there's yeah. a few, and then the the floating shots of the of the uh, house when it's going back to right. its yeah. normal state, the beginning and, stuff like and that. end, yeah. So, which those were those shots were interesting because the whole film was filmed in handheld except for a few of those, like, which were you like know, weird tracking ones, the, yeah. the weird tracking shots that were like time lapse stuff, and it really did. It didn't pull me out, but I, I immediately became aware of, like, stylistically, this is completely different. Exactly. This is something that's going on that's above what the characters are themselves experiencing, that's which true. is interesting. Yeah, which, which is, is kind like of like how the movie is, right? right. Usually the, a movie perspective is like the God perspective. Right. Like, I'm just out here watching a scene happen. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So, so that's kind of, it's kind of cool. I, I mean, it was certainly deliberate, right? Right. Like he, and I guess he kind of developed that, that camera movement and that decision to shoot it like that when they were rehearsing, which I guess they did for like three months yeah. beforehand in yeah. a warehouse. Yeah, I guess um, they shot it, I think, twice. They shot the whole film twice in the warehouse whoa yeah in two weeks wow. uh, well they did the, they did three months but then they filmed 
it twice, I think, in two weeks. Okay. Which is crazy. And I'm guessing they did that on digital. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, speaking of that, so they shot the film 16mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, with Ari Flex cameras, which is still a pretty popular... I mean, Ari Flex has been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Ari's been around for a long yeah. time, but... I love uh, Ari. Popular camera. <laughs> um, and then it was converted to 4K in the digital intermediate and then output it to 35mm, which is kind of why it gets its weird, like, ultra grain. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's more grainy than normal and kind of softer and just not... It is soft. I was kind of surprised. Yeah. I was surprised on how soft it was. I mean, there, there's a lot of shadow. There's a lot of darker colors, a lot of browns and, and kind of more earth, earth tones. tones. Earth yeah. tones, 100%. Um, which I really liked, but it was softer than like maybe what I was thinking of as like, quote, a horror film. Yeah. But it made sense, you know, with the fact that she's, you know, Mother Nature, stuff like that. Like, and she it, kind of wears more color, and then like that one scene where towards the the third act when she's wearing the dress because of the dinner, yeah, yeah. and then everyone else is kind of wearing black or gray yeah. or dingy brown, you know, like all the people in the funeral obviously are wearing black, like yeah, and stuff like that, right? And <laughs> when then, she was wearing when she was wearing that, like I got uncomfortable because I wasn't, I didn't like uncomfortable in the sense of like I, I, she that was the weirdest costume for her in the movie in the sense it was unlike all the other stuff that she wore. So I was immediately aware of the fact that she was wearing something different. So I felt a little bit like her character in a way that, like, you know, yeah. she's a little bit out of relevant with all these people around. Yep. And, like, I don't know. It was kind of cool. I was like, damn, again, you know, costuming is so fucking important. Costuming's <laughs> crazy important for sure. You know, even down to the shoes. Like I say, like, shoes are just one thing that I just love to, like... Because it makes a difference, you know? It's like, I think of Inherent Vice, where Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> yeah. he wears freaking flip-flops the yeah. whole time, right? Like, that's a that's a distinct choice yeah. that a character would make, and it changes if he were to wear, you know, like, polished black right. shoes. Yeah. That'd be boots different, right? Boots. rain boots or something. Yeah, so, yeah. like, it, it says... Moxies. Shoes say more about you as a per. Like, you know, I, I, I'm wearing a black shirt right now with nothing yeah. on it. There's a billion people who wear black shirt with nothing on it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it, it, blue jeans. Everyone wears blue jeans, yeah. right? Like it's, but we each have a certain decision. Like we take a lot of time to sit there and pick out shoes right. and like look yep. at the style yep. and the color and like <laughs> we match shoes to outfits, you know, like shoes are really like, you know, like that's why there's that stereotype for women who yeah, have like definitely. 50 pairs definitely. of shoes, you know, cause it's, it's one of those things that, you know, some Guys or girls will not be caught dead ever wearing a certain type of shoe. Exactly. You know, which is cool. And then exactly. some people are down for anything. Which yeah. is, so it's, pay it's, attention to those little details. Yeah. And then even like, you know, hair is also part of costume. Yeah. So don't ever forget about the hair, too. Yeah. Like, you know, Javier Bardet, like I said, in his interview, he kind of had longer, slick back hair, yeah. you know, but in the movie it was short. So, yeah. like, and then her hair, how it was like changing throughout the film and whatnot, you know, like yeah. it's hair says a lot about us as people right, too, and like sure. what we think, you know if we, if we want to rock a bald bald look versus <laughs> yeah. long hair you know like, what does that say so you know pay attention to little things like that it's funny because like jennifer lawrence too like, i don't think she had any mu or much makeup in the movie um as, i can like, never tell as like a character you know what i mean like yeah. she, as a character you, her character wasn't wearing makeup i'm sure she was wearing makeup for the film but, like, you know what I mean? She was never dolled up, you know? Yeah, well, um, yeah, because she's supposed to be, like, a home Yeah, body, she right? was more like, uh, uh, kind of a natural uh, look. Um, 
when obviously there was makeup like when she gets all beat up and stuff like right, that which, which that makeup brutal. was really good which I want to know how like how they pulled that off I feel like a lot of it was kind of was CGI'd I think yeah. like some of the, the limbs coming into the screen and stuff oh, so like good. they kind of just had her react and then filled it in later yeah. but then like definitely how they bruised her up in a not just like oh she's now bruised it was like okay now there's one bruise right. and another yeah. and another and, and you know that scene was I, I get like I can watch a lot of stuff but I generally get really unsettled when it's a group of something attacking one thing right, right, zombies right. Yeah. you know like a lot of, a lot of Resident Evil they did that a lot and like animals like attacking one thing as a group or something like that just makes it really uneasy so that scene in particular was like yeah because she's com- she's can't she she she's completely uh, basically helpless exactly and, and there's all these people's hands and stuff groping her and punching her and kicking her exactly and, and it's just like this uncomfortable you have no control and you don't even see the people really you just see their arms, arms and legs and, and stuff exactly. which it, it get, then it gives it you the, this weird like sense of um d- detachment of what's attacking her but yet you're attached to her because yeah, you're exactly. focused on her <laughs> exactly and all the slurs are coming out from all the different directions Which, like oh, that the the slurs and the, the the voices like i swear like you know you heard like you know people screaming and yelling at a one speaker and like you know exactly. just like the sound design for that was just crazy. incredible just crazy, crazy. Like, yeah and they're like whore bitch you know and stuff mm-hmm. and i was like whoa everything you can think of yeah. you know and then there and then when he comes in to kind of save her and then she pushes away and then he gets caught in the crowd and gets pulled back yeah, too yeah, like yeah. If, you know it's a really small shot but you can see them pull on his yeah. like, head and his shirt and everything <laughs> you know and kind of yank him down uh, that's just like super unsettling It'd to me man interesting I'd love to just see the behind the scenes footage of that happening and like be, and like that like the extras that are be, are those because those, those are people like yeah so like, like I'm curious because you know mainly when you think of extras you know I'm thinking of Star Trek you know the guys in the background that are hanging out yeah these extras actually had to do some serious stuff. A lot stuff, of stuff. A lot of people know? were destroying stuff. Yeah. There's a sequence, you know, when the guy's painting yeah. and they're all doing weird stuff like that, you know? Like, yeah, these extras actually had to yeah. come in and, like... Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you know, I've heard, like, in movies where they've they've hired, like, dancers from Cirque du Soleil or whatever to yeah. come in and as extras, and I was like, I wonder if they did anything like that. You know, these people that... They're not just like people off the street. That they're people that are professionals in some sort of theater, like local theaters or Probably. or something. Yeah, I mean, because, generally extras are people who want to be in a movie or act anyway. Right? Yeah. Know? But these guys, I mean, I don't know. Like the extra, whoever cast the extras on this, I was, I have to give them serious props because like everything felt so real, and all the extras had a particular look. That's the thing. They right? all had yeah. a very particular look that was also kind of you know unsettling a little bit. Uh, it's not like they all look like twins, but they, you know, like they they looked almost like they were all related. That's you know, some point. because well, they were all dressed in like crappy, dingy clothes. Like yeah. it was the apocalypse, yeah. you know. And then like <laughs> you had a mix of people who were dressed in like funeral clothes, and then when the paparazzi shows up, people are dressed kind of nice or more yeah, regular, yeah. and then it really generates into like crap. You know, I mean, Kristen Wiig's character is a good yeah, example yeah. of like she's like you know a well kept publicist, and then she goes to being like you know the leader of one of the rooms you know like there was a thing where she people you know she she could almost represent like one of the prophets which i thought thought was interesting and i you know on the biblical references you know i thought that was well i don't remember was her actual title publicist in that or was it something else i don't know i don't remember what her actual title is yeah yeah uh 
Yeah. Let me pop up the IMDb for it. But also... But, well, you know, the publicist and Profit, you know, both started the P. I, I think like, it yeah, might I mean, actually have been, like, Profit might yeah. have been her actual thing. Because so she shows up fairly early in the credits because, like, you know, she's kind of a bigger name right now, right. too. Like, I was surprised to see her when she popped up. Like, I, I know, like, right? for, I think if her name popped up um, at the beginning of the movie, I kind of glossed over it, I think. Harold. Harold, interesting. Harold is what her name is. Because she's the one who constantly calls the uh, calls her the inspiration. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence. So Harold, like H-E-R-A-L-D? Yeah. Like Harold. Like Harold, okay. yeah. So that's kind of like, in a way, a prophet, someone that's speaking out, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the speaking of... Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Huh. I mean, that's, again, that's kind of what she is, right? Because she's the one who's like creating his life and running yeah. his life and then she's all of a sudden running one of the tribes in the bedroom yeah. you know, or in the room you know and so a herald by definition is an official messenger bringing news makes sense i'm bringing your news about your book yeah and, yeah. and what's it spreading your word exactly basically. yeah a person or a thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen wow so it makes kind, sense kind too. like a prophet <laughs> yeah, she's very well-named very apt aptly named character um also looking through this cast of people i see an abraham aronofsky so is that oh, like wow. a family member of his <laughs> it's gotta be um no picture or anything but he's <laughs> been in all of his aronofsky's movies so must be his like cousin or brother or something yeah um yeah okay so one other thing i want to talk about too is uh not only did paramount you know give money to this movie and decide to distribute this movie they also canceled the upcoming friday the 13th film in order to move ahead with this movie sweet that's pretty big. That is big. Because that's their franchise. Like, yeah. that's franchise potential that yeah. they just, like, gave up to, like, produce this. I'm curious to see how well that's going to be received. Oh, it's going to be terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, like, all these franchises are, like, they're trying to have all these comebacks. You know, I don't know. Even it's Chucky. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard there was some news on that, I think, this morning that I read about. With the new I think Chucky part movie. of the, like, magic of just going on a slight tangent, um... Part of the magic of Friday the 13th is that it was, like, super B-movie camp horror. Like, it was literally (laughs) takes place in a camp, you know, and, like, it's just not supposed to be a serious one. But I get the feel, And then you look at, like, Freddy vs. Jason where it kind of got more serious, right? And, like, (laughs) as Jason's iterations have gone on, it's gotten more serious. And that's when the movie is kind of, like, they've all just gone downhill, right? Like It's it's funny. I've never seen a Freddy movie and I've never seen a Jason movie. I watched part five or something like a couple months ago yeah uh because i had a buddy that was when we did the double feature with that and then baskin um which was cool it was cool to put those two together Uh, it's interesting yeah yeah i've seen baskin they're definitely it's just like it's just cheese yeah you know uh, freddy's the same way where i mean it was a little bit darker a little more serious but jason's was not supposed to be serious like ever (laughs) it was just like a campy version of halloween which is already campy (laughs) yeah um but also jennifer lawrence uh dropped out of the rosie project in order to work on this movie which I've never heard of the Rosie Project, yeah, but yeah. you know, it's interesting that she gave it up, and then Paramount gave something up to get this movie made. Um, I also heard too because she's in a movie that's coming out, I think next year, early 2018, uh, that Red Sparrow, which I think they actually filmed 
before Mother or right after, but it's being released later. Anyway, I, from what I heard, Jennifer Lawrence said that, you know, I think Mother was the last thing that she's filmed and, and she doesn't have anything lined up right now because she's still, um, she's kind of just needing a break. I can like, see that. You know? And I was like, damn, like this movie really did take a lot out of her, you know? like, And I feel like they shot this movie really quickly. So yeah. like a super busy, you know, whatever it was month where it's literally 31 days straight yeah. of 16 hour days, you know? Man. And he was saying that like to stay on schedule because they shot in Montreal uh, in Canada uh, and they had, they, it was a 24 hour cycle. So they would shoot the uh, art people, set deck, production design would come in at night when they weren't shooting at, or during the day if they yeah. were shooting at night, right? Because there were night scenes. Uh, dress the whole set. They would come in again, shoot, and it was just that repeating. Wow. So wow. just to constantly have it, and it was only in one location. Yeah, so like, which yeah, you know, that's a lot of it's a lot of work, but you also can do everything there. So yeah. like, you know, why not knock it out in like a week or not a week, a month or something, yeah. you know, and just go hard. Um, I think I, I read too that they 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 made two houses. One was like the full thing outside. Where they like film the outside stuff and and, yeah. and and have them going in and out of the house and stuff like that, and then for the what Darren Aronofsky calls the last third of the film, the fever dream section, um, they film they made like the you know the house basically in a studio and had all the actors coming in and you know with the flooding and, okay, and all that, that stuff to you know. keep it more controlled. That <laughs> right. makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, but you know I guarantee you probably a vast chunk of that $30 million budget went to the house and just the actors. The actors you know? in the house, 100% <laughs> was what it was. Because, they, cause you can, because the movie is literally nothing right. until that time. Like, yeah. it's just a house with, like, some furniture that's yeah. half of it's covered up. You know, they have set deck their kitchen because they spent time in the kitchen and yeah. the bedroom and the bathroom. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously filming on film is a little bit more expensive than digital. But, you know, depending on their light setup and everything, too, they might have saved, you know money on you know electricity and stuff like that you know yeah, I mean, definitely. so like I, it's interesting to see I would like to you know with, with not just this film but just in all films really like a a, a sheet of like X amount of money went here. X amount of money went here. Because you know, I just you know, we just hear like, oh, it costs one hundred twenty million for this movie. It costs sixty million. But I'd like to see like the. It's really abstract when you yeah. say, oh, it costs this much to make right. money. Then everyone's like, well, why the hell does it cost so much to make money? Yeah. Well, to make a movie, well, yeah, one actors, and then you're paying a, a couple hundred people yeah. for an X period of time. You know, for two years, yeah. it's a lot of money. Like, how much money do you make in a year? Yeah. Take that, multiply it by a hundred, yeah. and suddenly you're probably at like eight hundred thousand or eight million dollars, yeah. right? You know, like it's not inconceivable to think of a movie making it like needing right. to make or cost that much to be made. Yeah. Um, I guess this is also the fourth time he's used sixteen millimeter. Oh, I wow. think the. F- I don't know if Pi was sixteen or if it was eight. I know it was like. I think it was sixteen. I think so. It's probably Pi, and it was. Well, Did they shoot know. Black Swan on uh, thirty-five or sixteen? I don't. I doubt they would have shot that on sixteen. I don't think it was sixteen. It must have been a thirty-five then. All of it, is I he a film guy? He's a film guy. Yeah. Um, I want to say. I could see that. I think the. I think. He's kind of got that pretentious. I need to be shooting on film <laughs> vibe. <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, he gets a lot of flack for being right. pretentious. So you know, especially with this one. Yeah. I don't mind it though for this. At the same time, 
I feel his pretentiousness almost comes from the fact that he's gotten a lot of shit for stuff that he shouldn't have really gotten shit for. I think, yeah. you know, like Requiem for a Dream, right? He got shit because it's like it shows the depra- you know the depravity of humans and stuff. But it's like, but it's fucking real. You that's know, the point. Like that's the point of it. Yeah. You know, and same with Black Swan. Like it's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's it's high art depravity. You know, it's like. But it's really not that bad, like, depravity-wise. You know, like, I like, I really love that movie. But he got a lot of crap for it because it's like, oh, it's, you know, he took ballerinas, which is, you know, a form of high art, ballet, and then made it into kind of this, like, you know, not-so-pretty thing. Which, in reality, it's really not that no, pretty. It's, it's not. pretty brutal, yeah, and it's, it's hard on their fun. body. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work. Like, it's not just, you know, it's glamour when they're finally on stage, yeah. and it's the last, you know, it's the fi- it's the show, finally, or whatever, you know. Like, His films all kind of expose things. Like, you know, Requiem for a Dream exposes the dark side of, you know, the, how humans are can be really depraved with their addictions, and addictions not only to drugs, but just, you know, media and everything. And the Black Swan you know shows the you know exposing the loss of control that anybody could have uh with their with their field of interest or and the job. narcissism of like the people running the show right. and stuff like that and wrestler similar yeah. same same thing um uh and then noah you know kind of just exposing kind of what this film does a little bit too you know about climate and and just all that so I, he does have a he, it, it, it i think it unnerves people it, it you know, it's not stuff that a lot of people are going to necessarily disagree or um, relate to right away. So I can see why his pretentiousness is there, to, you know, a little bit. I can see now that we're talking to where I've said this on the podcast before. and I think I might be kind of altering my opinion a little bit. There's not, like I said, that there was nothing that really makes Aronofsky an auteur. Like, there's no Aronofskyisms really. But I think I think you're hitting it where I think like his isms are not in like the visual. It's in what he's tackling. Yeah. And like you said, like putting a magnifying glass and open it to to a situation right. and, and getting to the reality of a situation. I think because he's said before that you know if you're gonna deal with or or try and write or talk about the darkness you can't lighten it up yeah. because you're going to undercut your own right. message so you got to go there you got to right. go like as far as requiem for a dream you know because yeah. in making that movie they they were you know going to kill it with the nc-17 rating which they gave it that because he didn't want to cut anything <laughs> yeah. he's like look like, <laughs> it's either we tell the real story that like the book was getting at or we tell this like fake story and yeah. get an R and it'll be wider, but it's still you know it's like no, nah, we got to go with the real. And then yeah, he's now staying true to his vision. Yeah. And now it's like you know people generally adore that movie right, for yeah. for how it goes and, and whatnot. And you know. they'll adore it, but they'll say I won't ever watch it again. Exactly. But it, I, I I actually like the movie. Yeah. <laughs> also, an interesting little fact about that: there's about twenty seven or twenty eight hundred cuts in that movie. Wow. Yeah. Because they do so many montages yeah. with the drugs and stuff Which when so they take cool. it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's that's a lot of cuts that for a movie. lot. Yeah. And if you think of someone, if they shot that on film, like that's 2,700 times they had to cut, literally <laughs> physically cut film, like, <laughs> and put it together. Um, like you mentioned uh, Aronofsky talking about uh, crap. What did you just say? Uh, oh, damn it. Themes, themes, yeah. Uh, like, uh, well, the he darkness. was the darkness, yeah. So he was talking about how, too, you know, um, how when he makes a film, you know, and all of his films, he is. He's like, I was a ballerina. 
I was a wrestler. I was a conquistador. You know, he he was all of these characters. He's like, you know, and I think most of the real real talented filmmakers have to draw from their own experience and from themselves and put themselves into the characters and you know he he said that he did that for you know this movie as well and he had to really get all that anger all that dark you know thoughts that he had in regards to how people were treating the earth and um the political situation the civil situation the food situation the weather climate you know the anything that's going on like because he has this long little spiel too where he talks about all that he touched on all the issues (laughs) that we're facing on the earth today kind of culminated into one thing and he just all put it into this movie and and sprinkled it into all of his characters and you know that does sound a little pretentious but I think that's really what all filmmakers really do to a degree. I think some do it more than others, you know, because a lot of like directors like Fincher, right? He's not really writing his own material. So he has to draw his own notions of what the films that have already, you know, the characters that have already written for him down, you know, on the page, but he has to draw himself onto the actors, not necessarily on the material. Yeah. So that's it. There's different ways that directors do it. um, But I feel you know because of that some people view you know directors more pretentious than others i mean aronofsky and nicholas winning refn have a very similar attitude towards um films on like well if you don't like it you don't like it if you like it i like it i make punk rock films you know i love like, how he describes mother as a punk rock movie yeah it is. yeah and in like... in refn described the neon demon as punk rock like he you know like so it I, I thought that was very interesting. I was like, wow, these two filmmakers in, you know, in the span of, you know, about nine months or so. Uh, well, no, like about, about a year, actually. Yeah, because Neon Demon came out around a little before this time last year. So, in you know, in a span of about a year, um, two filmmakers that have both been called pretentious are saying that they like to make punk rock films. I know, which yeah. is kind of cool. And, and that's... I don't know. I, I I like that. I like. I mean, <laughs> describing films as a music musical genre makes sense to. I mean, it does it makes a lot more. If you called your movie a pop movie versus a metal yeah. movie, that's going to make a big difference Definitely. in someone's head, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, speaking of writing this, though, he wrote it in five days, which is completely asinine. <laughs> like, yeah, five days for for uh, what is this movie? Two hours something? Yeah, it's two, like two like, hours ten minutes or some shit. Like so that. Two somewhere minutes, yeah, like, like a two hundred page script. Yeah, uh, in five days. And uh, I guess afterwards they tried to do the the traditional thing, which is, you know, rewrite, redraft, what can we put in, what can we take out? I guess they quickly realized that (laughs) that wasn't going to work. Once you started to dissect and pull things out, everything started to crumble, so everything kind of needed to be. Yeah. So I guess from what we see in the script, it's pretty close to a first draft. Obviously it changes during rehearsals. That's a big thing to change your script. But somewhere in there, it's between probably the first and the third draft, wow. I would guess, which I can't recommend doing if you're, <laughs> you want to make your film. Don't make your Especially first draft. like a first film or, yeah. or even your third or fourth. Yeah, I've, I've done that where I made close to a first draft of a script I wrote, and it, it just doesn't – it's not that good. It's really not. Just take a second, give it to someone else. Get some feedback. I need to do. I need to do um, that. But I I need to work on more. But it also on depends on what you're writing too. too. Like, because this only works if you're writing something that can be dissected. Mm-hmm. If you're writing something that's like 
esoteric, surreal, experimental. I guess that's, you know, yeah, it's yeah, that's hard true. to yeah. Yeah. like right now. I'm not writing a script, but I'm writing a film. Yeah, so like yeah. how do I get feedback for right. something that's like poetic as opposed to a traditional story we should talk about that at some point too in a podcast about you know like difference between writing a script and like writing a film you know like because there is a difference there is yeah (laughs) i think you know that's where kind of malik comes in because like stories i've heard is that the way he writes is like it's sheets of paper with ideas and lines and poems and random phrases and stuff and then you know like probably the occasional like you know in the case of tree of life like there's still like a plot going right there's still conflict so you probably had to write you know they fight and then like (laughs) blah blah blah. but like with knight of cups it was like all the different actors he had in it he just gave him a piece of paper that had like lines like oh there was one in particular where he said the line was like uh, a fireproof wall doesn't burn down or something like that. That yeah, was like yeah. one of the lines on it. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? You know, yeah. and the actor was like, I don't know what this means. What do I do with it? He, he's like, he was like, you know, what are we doing today? Like, what's the action? What's the pace? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then like, I guess like Lubezki just like laughed at the actor because he was just like, you've never, you've never, you haven't been, I can tell you haven't been a part of a Malik film yet. There is no continuity. There is no, no yeah. there's nothing. You we're just throwing that all out the window. We're just, yeah, we're yeah. just doing it. And then he, and then the actor later on was like, yeah, towards the end of the day, it was like, huh, everything started to really make sense. sense yeah, like, yeah. you know, his spastic way of directing, Malik's spastic <laughs> way of directing kind of worked out, you know, and that's kind of what I'm trying now is to write, like, I'm just writing shots and lines yeah. and, and ideas and then like just, yeah, it, you know, like I like that. I like that. I like just collecting material first, and like you know, see a picture on Pinterest, and be like, "That's fucking cool. I like that." See something on Instagram, you know, read a a a, a, a novel, and, and you know, some sentence stands out, and I'm like, "Fuck, that's cool." Bubbled brain, right on, and you know, and yeah. then like put that in, in into this like you know, uh, collage of images and, and phrases and things, and then you can just with that withdraw ideas and make a film out of it I like that's what I like to do which in reality like you know when you're building a film you have like you know most people have like a huge binder that's like okay here's a script here's maybe older iterations of a script you know it's just like your bible your film the film yeah. bible essentially which is like okay here's a bunch of ideas here's actor information here's layouts for sets we've been talking about yeah. like all technical information but sometimes you know you you depends on you right on how you want to build it but like you might throw in like you know i liked this poem so let's throw that in there for reference later and like you know here's some notes i wrote about a tree that i liked and stared (laughs) at for like eight hours throw that in there maybe that'll be you know it's like it's just film is like you you know harmony corinne said this too where like he writes the script so that you can pitch it to people and people have an idea of what you're doing when it comes to filming he just throws the script out (laughs) Because he either already has it in his head <laughs> right. or, like, just doesn't care about yeah. the strictness or the, the strict nature of having a film or a script be your blueprint for your film. Yeah, like, Werner Herzog's kind of like that, too, you know? Like, it's good to have a script, and, like, for people who are maybe newer to filmmaking, it's nice to have something to mm-hmm. fall back on, rely on. What do we do next? You know, let's look at the script. Yeah. Let's talk about it. And then it gives your actor, you and your actor, something to talk about. But at the same time, it's like... You don't need one? No, yeah. Necessarily? 
but you got to be damn good at what you're talking right, about. Right, yeah, you have, or to know, ha- you have to know your film, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, know your film or have an like, you know, Malik might claim that he doesn't necessarily know where his film is going by the end of it, and I think David Lynch says that, too, where yeah. it's like, I don't know, we're just doing it. Like, but he knows the feeling that he but wants to get, like, though, right? That's the trick, right? Yeah. You, there's there's some end point, whether it's a feeling yeah. or a, a end, point, end point of your journey or a place you want to take the character. There's somewhere they know they want to go. Mm-hmm. They just don't go there yeah. in that traditional way. Right. So that's what's important, right? Is knowing, like, okay, like, I know that they got to be here. Right. So let's stumble <laughs> our way to that and yeah. come up with something, you know. Or you can be like Refin and shoot, uh, which I guess is sort of similar to this, but shoot chronological. So, like, he has, he scripts his movies and shoots by the script because there's a lot of talking and lines. Well, not a lot, but, you know, if there's a lot yeah. of lines and stuff, then yeah, okay, you're going to probably script something out for them to memorize, right? But, like, you shoot chronological because at a certain point you can just be like, I don't like that. We're going to go a different yeah, direction with the story. Be, right. And you didn't shoot the <laughs> ending already, so you can, you know, like, um, which is what. Was it Only God Forgives? I think yeah, they only shot God it forgives. like that. Where like partway through, they're just like, oh no, Neon Demon too. They're just partway through. They're like, this ending doesn't work anymore. So yeah, we're going with this them. ending. You know, yeah, both like, of them were like that. They both the final product was not how he originally envisioned either project. Which right, it's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So like you know, just try stuff out. Like script it if you want to script it. Don't if you don't script it and then throw it out. I don't know. Yeah. You know? It's all like basically what Aronofsky said, you know, it's like you have to bring yourself to it. And whether that's, you know, through the characters or whatever, I mean, you'll get, you'll get there, you know, yeah. you'll, you know, you should get there. <laughs> yeah. That's the one that's kind of the cool thing of the cool, but also bad and also scary thing. But, you know, still at the same time, important thing about film is like, there's no hard and set rules. I mean, right. There are rules you can follow or guidelines, maybe is a better term, you can follow that you know will be safe, that you know will have a certain outcome. And, you know, you can you can do those things. You can shot reverse shot conversation. You can entirely yeah. script it out from page one to the end. You can shoot it directly in the romantic comedy genre without stretching anything. And you know you're going to have yeah. a certain aspect. <laughs> or you can just say, nah. And then you can take your camera and just go film cars for eight yeah. hours and make a montage <laughs> about different cars. And then mix that in with trees and... yeah. You know, have some characters say something, and suddenly you have a movie. Like, there's no, no it's true, yeah. <laughs> Stan Brackage, the sorry, I mean interruption. Yeah, no, no. Stan Brackage is known for experimental films, and one of the films he made was he took a, a roll of 35 millimeter, or I think an eight millimeter film. Took all these bugs, moss, leaves, anything he found in nature, essentially like stuck it to that <laughs> piece of film, took another piece and put it over it and squished it between the two so it could be ran through the projector, yeah. and that was the whole film. It, it was yeah, literally just as v- v- images <laughs> of like f- bugs and stuff. It's so cool. Yeah, and that's a film. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, his Stan Brackage is now in like the Criterion collection, yeah. like all of his stuff. So, like, <laughs> you know, it's film is whatever man film is like a series of still images with crap like heads cut in half so that you can move them up and down to sh- look like they're talking you know yeah, like yeah like what is that's film that's, like uh, <laughs> that's what's so cool about like this movie too you know mother is it's like it's definitely like 
his film you yeah. know Aronofsky's film like it's you know it's just like who else know. could have made this who right. could who, who could he have handed the script off yeah. to and said it, make it this could, it couldn't it, it yeah. came from him and I yeah. love movies that do that you know and I that's why I think one of the reasons why I, like, I just love this movie so much is like I, I can throw the pretentiousness and stuff all out the window because he made his fucking movie like you know maybe I'm just maybe just because that's something that I want to do someday I just have to I have to just I just have to like it, you know, appreciate that, and appreciate the fact that the studio gave him the chance to fucking, you know, That's give him the money thing, to do right? this. I mean, it's just like, like, how do you get people to take a risk on you like yeah, that? Like, if like, he didn't have his movie baggage beforehand, there's no way. Yeah. But his movies, it's like it. it's not like he's made like some big blockbuster or anything. No, you know, that, which true. is which is crazy. Like that, like you know, if it was fucking like you know Jean Favreau who did Iron Man or something, right? Who's done, who's made so much money for these big studios who says, you know, listen, guys, I really want to do something different. You know, they were like, oh yeah, you've given us billions of dollars. Yeah, sure. Sure. We'll give you, you know, throw 30, 30 million your way, you know? Yeah, like, right. But Darren Aronofsky hasn't done anything like that before, you know? Um, yeah. Well, Noah was a hit success. 125 million ish budget, 362. So it's not bad. Profits. Yeah, it's not bad. It's double its thing. And yeah. 125 million is a huge budget for it, too. Yeah, man. definitely. I didn't realize that that movie was that. Uh, it's crazy that it was like large. 90 million more than what Mother was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> the fluctuation is crazy, right? Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, he's proven that he can, one, run a set, work with everyone who needs to be worked with maintain some sort of budget yeah. or time or schedule uh and make money off of certain things right so yeah. like his his risk was mitigated in his movie baggage but yeah. like you said is like it's not like handing scorsese a bunch of money right, right. where you just know right. like oh scorsese is gonna sell it yeah. with his name alone like yeah um I'm, cu- I'm curious what his next project is going to be you know i'm 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 super curious. Right? Yeah, me too. It's hard to tell because he just jumps from, like, one random-ass thing to the next yeah. random-ass thing. Yeah. Um, this little factoid says, with a U.S. box office of only $7.5 on the first weekend, this was Jennifer Lawrence's worst wide-release opening ever. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. She's like, to the, she's like Chris Pratt and Daniel Radcliffe and... Um, Emma Watson, like she's like those people, uh, Elijah Wood too, where they can do whatever they want. They've right. made all their money from their franchises. Yeah, yeah. Like they yeah. are hundred million dollar millionaires. <laughs> like Dan, that's why Daniel Radcliffe does all these random ass little yeah. movies and pops up in weird cameos because Harry Potter made him like five hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah he, what doesn't, is, he doesn't really need any more need money. Yeah. yeah. So now he's just doing it for the art. Exactly. You Elijah know? Wood's the same way. Yeah. Elijah Wood does all these random little like maniac. Yeah, the horror maniac. films and stuff. Yeah. And then that, which I love that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like that one too for sure. Um, <laughs> but there's also one on Netflix I keep wanting to see called oh, I Don't Want to Live in yeah, This World I Anymore. I want to see that too. Like, what are these random little movies? Yeah. And, you know, it's because Lord of the Rings made him, like, a billion dollars. Yeah, so, like, whatever. Not? If he wants to work with the, you know, same with Keanu Reeves. He's been, you know, the that Bad too. Batch and, and the Neon and Demon. Matrix. And, like, he, like he's, made him all his money, yeah. He's made his money. So now he can do these films that he would, he, you know, actors that he like or directors that he likes, or actors that he wants to work with, and he just gets to do them, you know, exactly. for very little money or no money at all, and just do it because he likes the art of yeah, it. Yeah, he, like, it's some movies he just, like, donates, like, his whole paycheck. To yeah, because like I want to see that Netflix movie like, about whatever, the dude. the the lady, the girl that like um, is anorexic and stuff. Oh, my I girlfriend want, watched I that. I want to say like he like the money that he got from that like went to like 
He gave it like, like all away. Yeah, stuff like, like that. All of it. So it's like, you know, it's just cool stuff like that. But he seems like the coolest dude on the. Oh Earth, no, like, seriously. Like, I yeah, kick totally. With him. Like, yeah, he's. He, I don't think he owns a car, either. He has like a motorcycle. I think. Yeah, something. I think he has like motorcycles and like he he like does the subway thing. You like know? he. Oh yeah, there's that video that's like a uh, went viral of him on the subway. Someone's like filming yeah. him on the subway, <laughs> and. uh He's sitting on this like chair or whatever. He looks up and there's like a pregnant woman next to him, and he gives her his fucking seat. Yeah, yeah. And just stands there. Yeah. And like <laughs> he just stands in the subway. It's like this, <laughs> this, this dude is so like he's so goofy and like he just never lost that like surfer boy yeah, like yeah. vibe. You know that Bill and Ted just, vibe. Yeah, he's that, just like. like... He's, he's just, just chilling. Like, cool. He's just chilling all the time. He's like, dude, I have so much money. Yeah. You know, he, I, he, the Matrix movies made him so much money, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I would imagine that where he lives and how he lives is in terms of rich or celebrity or yeah. Hollywood is fairly frugal. It is. Yeah. Like, no, Cause he only, I think he only owns like one condo in New York or something. Yeah. Some flat in, in New York. Like he lives very frugally compared to, I and mean, low key, yeah, frugal and low key, key like yeah. just doesn't, you know, just, he's single too I, like been single for a long time well I think. he had like some like but then some shit happened with her right yeah like, she, like something died. bad like, like died or yeah. cause it was Jim Carrey's girlfriend committed suicide I yeah, think that but was then Keanu Reeves's yeah. like what girlfriend like died or something yeah yeah and, unexpected like it was yeah, some accident exactly, or something yeah so like, like you know fuck. you're just like holy shit dude and then like it's all like he's, he's kind of had like this tragic past I mean his, like, his best friend was River Phoenix Joaquin oh, Phoenix's yeah. older brother and they started a movie or two together and yeah. all that shit that's and right yeah I want to so, say his parents are both dead too stuff oh, like man. that yeah, he's, like, he's, I've heard his, yeah. uh, his life has just been really rough so you know <laughs> he kind of deserves everything he's got yeah. I guess and he's worked his ass off don't get me wrong no, he does. he's worked yeah, his ass yeah, off for like, sure yeah dude puts it puts it in when he needs to put it in um uh let's see I kind of want to wrap it up here pretty soon yeah, um, just keep it a little bit shorter but is there anything else um I found I just I guess I was kind of interested in like some of the bi- the biblical references real quick that were kind of cool that I kind of just thought were interesting. Yeah, just like stuff like, you know, Javier Bardem's character, you know, kind of represents him or, or God, you know. He even says, I am I, which is a line God uses in the scripture. Ah. <laughs> so, I always thought it was he was supposed to be the devil. Because usually, like, with him, it you know, it can kind of go either way. Like, yeah, you know. Sometimes you refer to the devil as him because you don't want to say right. his, his name, right? Yeah. But also God is him and stuff. So when I was watching the movie, I thought he was supposed to be the devil. It's funny. I, I When I was watching it, I was thinking of him more as, like, God. But I can see how you could view it as the devil, too. Like, why, like why not? You know, like... Because, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, you can interpret God as being a narcissistic yeah. person or entity. Yeah. You know, and the devil is the same way, like, and then God being like, well, I created everything, so, yeah, yeah I deserve all everyone to, to worship me, and, and, you know, like, taking that, that literal stance of, like, okay, in church, you worship God, so maybe God wants that, yeah. maybe. And to, and to some people, God is the devil. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So stuff, you know, but it's funny, because he's, like, literally the man upstairs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. And when he, like, he shows up, and she looks up, and, yeah, he is the yeah. man upstairs. Yeah. That's, that's a really it's, good It's kind of interesting. Point. Yeah, it's a literal like yeah. interpretation. <laughs> 
<laughs> of the man upstairs, right? Um, but then you also have Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, who are man and woman. Adam and, uh, Eve. Adam and Eve. Their sons, Cain and Abel, kills Cain kills Abel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the fact, like when Ed Harris has the the wound in his rib cage, you know. Oh when, yeah. And, and then like you know, Adam gave his rib, his rib yeah. to spawn uh, Eve. And, that was before she showed up too. Huh? Yeah, and it, literally the next scene is the next morning is when Michelle Pfeiffer's oh, character shows up. Oh, that's which good is point. really cool. So, Dang, and, and then, yeah. like, you know, the, the whole, the crystal, the mysterious crystal thing. Which is, is supposed to be, like, a, like the forbidden fruit, I've heard, could be, or okay. it could also represent, uh, because it's broken, right? It gets, it gets it's break, broken, and it's kinda, which is what unleashes everything. Their, their, the Adam and Eve's innocence is now lost, and then it shows Adam and Eve, um, like, fucking. Oh, you know, which is their sexual awakening. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, it would be the the forbidden fruit. The, the... which is you know it's, it's interesting. Oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that now. That makes sense. Um, and then when he kind of he squeezes it, so it's kind of red. You know, like yeah. an apple. Like yeah, yeah, okay, kind of that red metaphor. Okay, I can see that. But you know, but it also you know it represents also the change of. You know, because by the end of the movie, when you know the lady comes up, rises up from the the bed, just like Jennifer Lawrence at the beginning of the film, but it's not her. It's like an it's a it's a it's the new reincarnation of the, of his world, his new creation. You know, which is interesting. Uh, which I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways you could read that too, like the extinction of like life, and then the regrowth of life yeah. or Earth. Starting from a being a rock floating in space yeah. to knowing having what we have now, and I think it's funny that people like read that last scene because there's a lot of this movie gets flack for being uh, misogynistic and stuff. So right. what they're saying is that you know the women gives the woman gives everything to to the man so that he can do his thing, and you know that last scene is just to show that. It doesn't matter which woman; they're all they're all the same, and they're all can be recycled. And like, you know, it's just going to start over with some other woman. I didn't read that at all. I didn't all. read it. I, I didn't like, read it like that at all. I just yeah. read that it was supposed to be cyclical. Like that's yeah, that's like, what I read it as. Like we it, destroy and then it grows, yeah. and we destroy. Like yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of a semi-feminist movie. If you Jennifer really think Lawrence of it, calls it feminist. Yeah, herself, because like so. it, it's she's the one that's breathing life into the house which represents earth right she's the one that's giving it life yeah and she goes through all that shit she like you know and she's still there she she gets fucking burned and she's like still there and she still loves you know the creator or whatever like yeah. that shows a lot of fucking strength like yeah. that's what i thought too you know what i was mean? like like, like I, you're giving a lot to him but you're also putting up with a lot and then in the end you're the one trying to like She's like trying to save herself. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, yeah, and protect like her kid. You know the. I, I don't know how you could. I don't know how you might interpret the kid. There's a billion ways to do it, I suppose. But like you know, protecting the, the her offspring. Yeah. You know, so that it can help grow or, or keep Mother Earth. Yeah, she almost becomes Mary Magdalene there too, or uh, Mary. No, Mother Mary. Are you uh, talking about like the vir- not Mary, like, the virgin fuck, birth, right? Vir- well, yeah, fuck no. I'm getting things confused. Well, she she basically she becomes well she can, well she can also represent like the Holy Spirit, right? Um, yeah, I think so. A little bit. So she, I don't know. I, yeah, there's so many things. I think you can. That's what's so cool about this movie is you can read it different ways. You know, because like her kid, I think is supposed to represent the birth and death of Christ. You know, he's not Jesus, but you oh know, yeah, I can see it being Christ. It's, yeah. it's you know. 
Well, all the all the you know, he, you know, and all the all the 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 people you know uh, rise. You know, well, it's like God giving His Son right. to the people. Yeah, the Son dying. Yep. What do we do on communion? Well, we eat the body we and drink the blood of Christ. Eat and drink, and which that's what, is what happens they in do. The they actually like, eat the baby, right? Exactly. Like, so I, you know, all that. Well, it makes, just, it makes I, a lot of sense. I just really yeah. like how he used it all like that and you could take it that way or you could not take it that way you know like and then i think that one point in the bible too because like he was it i'm gonna get this confused probably but mary so there's like the virgin mary but then there's also the other mary who was like a whore yeah the prostitute and who she kind of mother mother sort of becomes that when they start calling her the cunt and the whore and everything else too right it starts blurring it starts blurring because like at first she's like mother mary when she's all very protective of her son and and she's just like you know trying to stay awake as heavier bardem's just looking at her like i want my baby and you know she's got that kind of mother mary you know feel but then during that one scene then you're starting to see the blur because of Mary Magdalene she got stoned yeah you know she was getting stoned literally um you know in the so she is like fluctuating I mean she's multiple things yeah, right yeah, like, there's yeah. never, like you get the surface level interpretation which is what Aronofsky describes the mother nature the bible references but you know she's not one thing she's right. supposed to be multiple things yeah, and right? just like and i think just like you know um just like javier bardem's character i think he's supposed to represent you know i think he can represent the devil i think he can represent god i think he can represent man um as like you know the quote you know typical maybe like man and what his what his role is with like you know yeah. procreating life and stuff like that yeah. yeah he's impotent in the movie basically basically yeah <laughs> which is an interesting also thing you know you know to say that, you know he's this impotent guy and maybe that's why his 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 he, a lot of his frustration comes out you know, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's just there's so much stuff you can take. And then, then the yellow, the yellow drink that I was gonna say, yeah, the Jennifer Lawrence drink. is 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 her love it, of that color because then she paints that same color. Yeah, it's just interesting stuff. You yeah. know, it's like there's so much to to really dissect about this movie, which that's why I liked it. Uh, one another reason why I liked it. Just I don't like movies that it's so you know fucking spoon feed you. I mean, this is a little spoon fed to some people. If you start thinking about it more and more and more and more, I think there is more and more to talk about and think about than Definitely. just the surface level, like, oh, it's about climate change. It's like, yes, it is. But it's also about this. It's about this. It's about relationships. It's about, you know, it's just about it's about so much things. I, and that's why I liked it. Yeah, relationships and the deterioration of it and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what it's going to look like in five years or ten years. I know. I wonder if it's years. gonna be one yeah. of those ones that has a weird resurgence because people are like you know because what all theorists and, and critics like to do is they love to attach metaphor to stuff even ones that may not exist because that's just how they talk about yep. it. So like horror in particular which this movie you know is he I think he calls it horror you can call you can claim that it's horror and make an argument for it and I would probably agree with it and 
So horror specifically, they love to say, like, you know, this represents that, this represents that. So in 10 years, you know, when <laughs> things have kind of changed and the, the political climate's different, the literal climate's yeah. different, I wonder what people are going to attach, what meaning they're going to attach to it. Because especially in 10 years, if, like, the world has gone to shit and this movie for some reason appears and they're like, wow, this was like a, yeah. this movie, like, told us this was going to happen. It showed the fucking apocalypse. It showed it. It told us <laughs> it was going to happen. And we didn't listen, yeah, man. We yeah. didn't listen. You know, yeah. like, you know, like, that, uh, that could be a thing you know and God, we didn't even talk about the police showing up um, yeah you know we, we kind of touched on Kristen Wiig's character a little bit but I think there's something even deeper there right. um, the kid you know the mom and the, the her the mom with the kid who needed to like pee or whatever yeah. and then yeah. like you know the painter the guy who's specifically <laughs> painting which they spend a, a good chunk <laughs> of time chunk on of that, yeah. um, like there's all sorts of random little metaphor there you know like you know it, the police are they literal police like you know, didn't you try to call the police? Like, yeah. you know, why do they show up at riot gear? Like, yeah. it's just a lot of, and, and it's all, and you know it. The reason why, like, Darren Aronofsky, you know, specifically wanted them in the movie to have riot gear, not just in their typical police uniforms. You know, there's a reason for all that. Which yeah, I, exactly. I, I love that. It was immediately <laughs> escalated, and like, who's that one guy who like tries to save her all of a sudden yeah, too? But yeah. then he like gets fucked up, and then you know, like. <laughs> And then there's also that one when he's talking to the the paparazzi and he, he turned on to talk to her and when he goes back he does the spread arm thing too yeah, like that yeah. kind of like the cross shape you know yeah. like hey I'm giving myself to you here like you and know then, like, then at the end when it, the house is turning into you know into flame and it's literally becoming like a hell which is really yeah. cool too exactly like, that's oh, why I thought it was because like yeah. each room was like its own thing like people were being caged up right people were being killed people were being tortured people were being you know the police were showing up so like it's just like you know and that's what i'm saying like with kristen wiggs character like all of a sudden she becomes like this leader of this weird tribal room yeah yeah, yeah. but then she blows up so like you know that whole room all of a sudden jumps however long yeah. into the future now and then like because that's the thing too that i really liked about that scene the whole sequence was like it was just jumping in time yeah there was no it was like suddenly people are breaking and then suddenly people are caged right and they're like messed up and like you know suddenly people are like in tribal like uniform and like I love they have that. pictures all I over the house all of that. a sudden like I, I, I loved how he described it as a fever dream because that's what it was it has the dream dream logic basically allowed me to just continue yeah. li- watching and I'm just I'm, I was literally just in awe like like at that point I had completely surrendered exactly myself to Aaron Offey knows what he's doing he's just gonna take me there I can't wait exactly like that which, I, is, which is awesome uh Okay, well, we'll end on this just because I want to touch on this too, but because you said that, um, that's why there's no score. Right. So, Johan Johansson wrote a score for this. There's an entire score for the movie. Um, and then in editing, they realized that the, what, so what scores do or what they can do, what they usually do, is they tell. Yeah. They prepare you for something. There's like, you know, scores will, at the certain scenes, they'll give you the right motion that you need to be feeling. Or a score might lead up to, like, a climax, which tells yeah. you the climax is coming. You can feel the build. Or you can absence of, like, if a score happens and goes away, you might know something scary is happening. Yeah. There's always a yeah. tell, right? Yeah. And at this, they, like, didn't, they took it out specifically because they didn't want, they wanted the confusion and the the fact that you can never be a step ahead of her. Right. Right. right, like you said, you're always kind of leaning on her right. in the story, right? You can never be ahead of her with what you know is going to happen. 
uh, and if there was a score, it would you know if if when she opens a door or when she closes a door, you know there'll be some sort of cue as to like, yeah. hey guys, here I'm gonna get you the tension. Yeah, yeah, you know, the yeah, music's yeah. gonna see like there's a little bit of tension. I'm about here. to do this to yeah, you. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, like so they took it out, and then which let the sound designer come to the forefront and really mess with yeah. the, the like you said you know there's voices coming from here and here and yeah. sounds from here and here which and I like, think Johan Johansson also helped and worked with him I'm sure um, to really kind of tweak and to form the movie as a movie sound well because like you know a sound designer is still going to have a sense of rhythm, right? But that's a composer's whole life yeah, is musical yeah. rhythm. So how do we design sound yeah. to still apply a rhythm to to that? You yeah. know, and I forgot to look if he was still credited. He was credited as a music consultant, okay, or composer consultant. Music, yeah. I think, a music consultant. So he, de- you know, you can definitely tell he he was, you know, still involved. I wonder if they're um, going to release a soundtrack for it. would be it. interesting. I would love to pick that up. That would be really cool. I this, just can't wait. Hopefully the Blu-ray comes with like a commentary too with the Aronofsky and and just behind the scenes footage of like how they made it. I want to see like just footage see, of yeah. them filming and just seeing like what the actors are doing and just I don't know. Even some clips of the the warehouse um Rehearsals, you know, stuff like that, that just to cool see too. how how that works. Because that's something that I would like to dive into, maybe eventually. You know, a couple of films down the road is really like, really, you know, te- like fuck all the technical stuff and really just focus on like, you know, like performance or something. You know, not yeah. as like dialogue, but just like performance. Performance, you know? that's the thing, yeah. right? Just like. <laughs> You can perform without dialogue. Right. You know, happen. It would happen for years and years and years. Yeah. And film yeah. first came out, so you know it, it can't happen. But yeah, I definitely, I would love to see the behind the scene. I definitely just want to see how the how hectic how they that, made that that in, third man. act. Yeah, like the whole movie. Uh-huh. I mean, I hinged a huge amount of the score I gave it out of five just on that last act same alone. Here. Same like, here. You know, because there just, was a part that kind of got there was a lull, a, a, a lull or whatever. Where, uh, yeah. At, at one point, and I was like, okay, like where is this going? But then when that happened, like there's like that that scene all the people were showing up right and then there was like that club music that was going on and I'm like oh yeah, fuck like shit's about to, to like party all yeah of a and then I was like oh shit shit's about to get then real you know. yeah yeah and then like and then it just there on I was like fuck See? yeah this movie is fucking amazing you know? <laughs> See, that's exactly it like what I was just saying like that's one of the few times that there's music in the movie maybe the only time there's yeah. music in the movie and that tells you yeah immediately yeah, yeah. like <laughs> Damn! Like we noticed, there's a change. All of a sudden, there's like this beat. It's like boom, boom, and I'm like, "Fuck!" We're like getting into like back and all or back and all like territory where like I know shit is just about to fucking yep. hit the fan. Like, yep. like I was like expecting like orgies. I was expecting like you know people like you know showering in blood. Shit I was like expecting that. it to be way more than what people like people because like, that's the thing about reviewers and stuff. They're always like, "Oh my god, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so brutal." And like, yeah, I just can't. I just never watch this again. Yeah, like, yeah. how could you do this? And then you watch it, you're like, dude. It wasn't like it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. No, like, yeah, you, that could have gone a whole different direction. See, luckily, I hadn't read anything about the movie before I watched it because I watched, I think, the day it was released or the day after. Oh, okay. um, so I didn't know. So when that came, I was like, What the fuck just was? So I was like, So stoked, um, to, you know, when that was happening, but yeah, oh, so cool. I can't wait to watch it again. Definitely. <laughs> so, what would you say out of five? 4.5. 
That's what I said. Maybe too. I mean I want to give it a five, but I'm going to say four point five. I, I was I said four point five. I don't know. I don't know though. It, it probably it's tough. it might depending on how good Blade Runner is, and and also um, you never really knew I was there, or whatever the movie's called. You never really knew I was there, or. You, the, the new Joaquin Phoenix movie by Len Ramsey is going to come out later. It's oh, going to be those yeah. three movies for me. Well, are he's like probably, a fucking like hitman or something. Yeah, those three movies are going to be for me. I think the top three of, my, of this year. Does the, the Killing of a Sacred Deer next year? Oh, actually, and the Killing those those are going to be the top <laughs> four for me. Okay, um, and that's actually that coming too. out October, I think. So coming up. Oh, nice. Um, so I might as well save my tickets to watch that. Then. Yeah. So like. So what? Jacob will be back for this. He has not left the podcast, <laughs> um, and. We had a schedule, we, we have a long schedule all the way out until like next year of how we kind of want each week to look like. Yeah. That got, you know, that wrench was thrown into that. <laughs> so we haven't even touched on documentaries. But So the problem is, is that uh, we, we do want to do a Blade Runner special. So like yeah. we might have to push, doc, unless, depending on how this Thursday goes, like we might have to push documentaries out. Because Blade Runner comes out on the 6th. Yeah, next. Uh, and then we have yeah. it planned for that week after because yeah. I can't remember what we have planned. Um next week um so we will do blade runner it'll be the original and the new uh and then it'll just be a full blade yeah. runner episode but then with the killing of a sacred deer i don't know i, I kind of want to fit it in somehow but yeah, i just that, don't know like, i know I, I think we can i think we can fit it in something i mean i want to talk i know i'm gonna just love that movie I mean, I, I know I'm gonna love it. <laughs> like, Definitely, yeah. I think it's. I think it looks. It looks super cool. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, but anyway, let's. Uh, I think we call yeah. it. That's a pretty good discussion yeah. on mother. Um, again, I don't have my shit with me, so <laughs> can't really do the outro as well. Um, but basically, you know, follow us on Facebook, Back to Back Films Podcast, SoundCloud.com/slash/BTBFilms. Um, you know, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be lovely. Uh, review or rates you know, it would be nice just to kind of expand let's get some people talking and we want to talk to people yeah. um, we have a group on Facebook where discussions can happen uh, it's where we post updates for stuff to Facebook uh, eventually we're going to get onto Twitter and Instagram and you know we branch out eventually uh, once we all kind of get our footing again and get back into a, a weekly routine um as always, this you know the music uh, was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing dot com. Skinner, <laughs> I was like, one of us is has to do it, uh, which apparently Jacob just loves to hear that. So. <laughs> at the end of our last episode, it ended perfectly because I, you know, we did the whole like you know bye, and I did the bye thing, yeah. and then and then we just laugh, and then it kind of just fades out. It's like perfect. Uh, I love the way that one ended. But uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the rest of the. Stuff I usually talk about. Um, I don't know. Gosh, yeah. Everything's up in the air right now with, you know, it's kind of day-to-day. We're going to update the Facebook. If you really want to know what we're going to be watching, we might record this Thursday. If Jacob, uh, you know, finally stops wanting to be married and <laughs> actually gets some free time. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which he got well, married over uh, over this weekend. Yeah, so, that was pretty fun. You know, congratulations to him. But you know, we have more important business to be doing <laughs> besides besides that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so whatever the rest of my spiel is, we'll be covering. If if Jacob doesn't uh, pop up, then we'll do another. Yeah, we'll do another little short of yeah. of something. Um, maybe if we both see it, or yeah, I kind of yeah. like this too, because like we have a lot of options with what we can do for mini episodes. But I kind of like the one movie. Yeah, it's cool. Mini. Um, 
set of the two, and then just, just yeah. whatever we talk about when we talk about. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Uh, check Facebook for updates. Thanks for listening. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Never get told. <laughs>